Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. We're in uh, public health crises and there are ways that these businesses should behave. And if they're not following the guidelines set by the CDC or the state of Illinois or the city of Chicago, we do have to help them come into compliance. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. With us today is the chairman of the city council's budget committee, Alderman Pat Dowell. Pat, thanks you for joining us. Thank you, Fran, for having me this afternoon or morning. And happy Veterans Day to you. Same to you. You were elected alderman in 2007. You previously served as a city planner and deputy commissioner for neighborhood planning for the city under former Mayor Howard Washington, I believe. You also served as an executive director for some nonprofits, including the Mid-South Planning and Development Commission. Now you're the budget chairman, and you just finished presiding over virtual city council budget hearings for the first time in Chicago history. What challenges did that present for you? Fran, I hope that was the first and the only. Given the pandemic, we certainly can't get together as a group. It was very challenging because you can't really get the feel of what people are thinking about and in the way that they ask questions or you don't have an opportunity to do a sidebar with someone. At times, like yesterday when it rained and the wind was blowing, some of the internet connections became unstable. It's a challenge. And because everyone has an opportunity to use the full 10 minutes in the first round, many people do, and that requires the, the hearings to go for a very long time. So we started at 9 a.m. yesterday, and I think we ended at around, we've gone some nights till 7.38. I think yesterday we ended around 5. Yeah, it seemed to me that they dragged on longer than usual because it was virtual. One alderman told me privately that everybody's Superman on Zoom, you know, that they feel emboldened by the fact that they're not in person. What do you think, what role did that play in the length of these hearings? I agree. I think that people use that medium to make statements about how they feel about the budget or an ideological point of view or to address a very specific super local issue in their ward. And it's very difficult in, in the Zoom world to not allow that to happen. 
So you were patient with people. You gave them the rope. Did you ever feel like I have to cut this off or should you have cut it off? I'm patient with people, but I'm also fair. So if you're on some kind of rant that has nothing to do with the budget, I'm going to shut that down. If you are have something that is really stuck in your craw as it relates to something going on in the ward, uh, I'm going to allow that to be said. So I use my judgment, and I think my colleagues have appreciated how fair I've been and impartial as it comes to the hearings. And when you had a team of city officials in a conference room, which often happened, like, for example, with the Civilian Office of Police Accountability, you couldn't hear them all. Yeah, that's the, unfortunately, the tragedy of working on Zoom. It's not quite perfect unless you are sitting in a room by yourself in front of a computer with a very good mic and internet connection. And those large rooms make it very difficult to hear people. But we may do. We could... At one point, we took a recess so that the department could move their tables closer to the mic. We made it work. Planning and Development Commissioner Maurice Cox, who is an import from Detroit, got a real earful from Alderman. What was that all about, do you think? Every Alderman knows what's happening in their ward. They have a sense of the rhythm of their community. They know the people. And I think when it comes to the Department of Planning Commissioner, he has to realize that there are a lot of different stakeholders and that he needs to work to understand the real needs of those communities and that he cannot impose his view unilaterally, right? So we have to have a partnership with the um, planning commissioner. And I think he's coming to learn that. And he's new to Chicago. He's extremely knowledgeable, very qualified. He's a architect of note. But people in the community have ideas as well. What in your mind were the highlights and lowlights of these hearings? I think the highlight for me was seeing that The departments during this pandemic have had to, have been very challenged trying to deal with issues related to the pandemic. For example, the health department dealing with getting information out, setting up testing sites, doing contact tracing, staying on top of the the issued guidelines from the Center for Disease Control, and at the same time, doing their usual department work of public health, running the mental health clinics. So just looking at the departments doing double time, overtime, to deal with the pandemic issues and doing the work that their departments are required to do based on their mission. Yeah, Streets and Sand is another example of that. You had guys working in their trucks, blocking off commercial corridors to after the looting, after the two rounds of looting. So you had people doing jobs they never did before. You raise a good point, Fran. I forgot about the, the, the 
change in work habits caused by the unrest in the city this summer, but in addition to the pandemic. And it wasn't just departments like Streets and Sand, but the Department of Transportation, the Department of Business Affairs and Consumer Protection. All of these uh, departments did uh, double duty. Yeah, Business Affairs and Consumer Protection has a difficult enough time inspecting businesses and holding them accountable in the best of times. And now they've got to go in there and see if they're uh, following mask requirements and social distancing and uh, not keeping their dining rooms open now for the second time. That's a fine line for them. How hard should they come down on these poor businesses that are fighting for survival? You have to, um, we're in public health crises and there are ways that these businesses should should behave. And if they're not following the guidelines set by the CDC or the state of Illinois or the city of Chicago, we do have to help them come into compliance. Sometimes it's with the carrot and those that really disobey, so to speak, you have to use a hammer. I think listening to the aldermen in the hearing for the business affairs department, they were all very positive about the work that department has done in working with businesses during this pandemic. Alderman Riley complained about the fact that with dining rooms and bars closed to patrons for a second time, that these party goers have been driven underground. They're renting hotel rooms for a song. Uh, The rates are cheap now because the hotels are rather on the desperate side, not surprisingly. And people are doing vacation rentals as well. And there are super spreaders events, kids coming downtown, kids coming down to rent hotel rooms and party. Does he have a point there and what should be done about that? He definitely has a point. I was just reading about a Northwestern University uh, study yesterday that was talking about hotels and gyms and restaurants being super spreaders based on some research that had been done. And I think the Commissioner of Business Affairs acknowledged that was something that needed to be addressed. I think Riley had a good point. Alderman Riley had a good point and something I think uh, will be looked at by the department. Police Superintendent David Brown got a bit of a rough time over his decision to yank four to six police officers on every watch out of every district and reassign them to the downtown area to prevent another round of looting. Does he need to change that? Do you agree with that policy or disagree? Are you suffering from it in any way? It's four to four to six police officers. I understand the importance of protecting downtown because downtown is the economic engine, but we have to make sure that the neighborhoods are also covered. I think in the second round of uh, the looting that occurred and the unrest, we were very prepared with not just the assets from the police department, but also the assets from departments, as you mentioned before, like streets and sanitation and the Department of Transportation. I have not seen uh, a lack of patrolling in um, 
my community in the second district, the first district, the ninth and the seventh district that have been impacted by taking uh, four, four officers from those districts into the downtown. There were more. I would have been upset about that. I was upset about that. But the way it is now, I understand the decisions that were made. In that first uh, round of looting, there was that emotional phone call that the mayor had with all of them, and you were particularly just really emotional, and rightfully so, about the damage that was done to some of the stores in your ward that you fought so hard to get, Mariano's and so on. Is everything repaired by now? Is everything fine? And is there any lasting damage? There's still some lasting damage. Um, For example, Fran, we had a store on 47th Street, a series of stores that were hit by fire. Those buildings had to be torn down, and now we have a vacant lot on the corner of 47th and Prairie. But some of the stores are beginning to come back. it, It is slow. Mariano's is up and running and doing very well. The mall at 55th and the Dan Ryan is coming back, although slowly. We've had some new stores go in there. So it's a work in progress. Unfortunately, the unrest set back, set us back a bit, but we're resilient and we will move forward and are moving forward. But it was so gut-wrenching for you. You fought so hard to get these stores and the Mariano's was such a triumph for you. Yes, but you have to understand, too, the frustration that people have with the lack of economic opportunity, the treatment of the police on people in the community, the killing of George Floyd. all came together, the pandemic, the stars aligned, and unfortunately, we had that unrest. Now, it's not a good thing, but you have to understand how people might have gotten to that position to do that. And unfortunately, it happened in our community. But we'll bounce back and we are bouncing back. You're afraid that it could happen again. Some of those same elements are still here in terms of the frustration, the hardship caused by the pandemic. What do you think? The quicker we get this pandemic under control, the more we can increase economic economic opportunity. I'm hopeful about the new leadership in Washington. And people are really engaged and energized about what needs to be done in their community. So I'm, I'm much more hopeful and hope that the unrest and the damage and the destruction that we saw over this summer does not occur again. What would have happened had Donald Trump won the election? (laughs) I don't know, Fran. I think people would have been very depressed about that. But I don't want to dwell on that. I want to dwell on the possibility of a Biden-Harris presidency and look forward to better days ahead. When you declared the hearings over last night, you said, let's go make sausage. What exactly did you mean by that? Is that a reference to the old expression that the art of passing legislation is like sausage making and that you don't want to watch it happen, but the product is pretty good at the end? 
we're going to have to make a product at the end. We have to pass a budget. And this budget is not a budget that everyone likes. There's something in it for people to like. There's something for people to dislike. Right now, we have various aldermen coming up with proposals or suggestions about how the budget should be changed. We'll go through those discussions and going through those discussions, working with the administration and working with the Office of Budget and Management is like making sausage. We have to figure out a way to get uh, 26 votes to pass a budget that reflects the vision, not only of the mayor, but the vision of the aldermen as well and the values of the aldermen and mayor. So the flashpoints of this budget, not surprisingly, are the $94 million property tax increase and the annual increase every year after that tied to the cost of living, the 350 layoffs, the five unpaid furlough days for non-union employees, and the $1.7 billion refinancing with $950 million of those savings taken in the first two years. That's a return to the scoop and toss days that Rahm Emanuel ended. And of course, not surprisingly, a small thing, but the policy decision to start issuing speed camera citations when drivers are caught going between six and nine miles over the speed limit. In every budget process, Pat, you know mayors have to compromise. That is what negotiation is all about. Labor negotiations, legislative negotiations, both sides have to come away from the table feeling as if they won something. Otherwise, it really doesn't work. Where does the mayor need to compromise? I, I can't say where she needs to compromise today. We just ended hearings yesterday. The labor unions, the Chicago Federation of Labor, just issued their report yesterday. The aldermen are beginning to have their discussions about the various caucuses, about the changes that they want. I think it's a little early in the process to say where those changes should be made, what changes the mayor should make, what changes should the alderman make. I would say that there are no good choices in this budget, and I do anticipate that there will be some movement around certain items within the budget, but today, Fran, I couldn't tell you what those items will be. Are the 26 votes there for the property tax increase? I don't know today. I don't know today. And today isn't really the day when it matters. The day that it matters is on November 24th when we take that vote. And between now and the 24th, I anticipate there will be movement. I definitely anticipate there'll be movement on items within that budget, but what those items are today, I can't tell you. I know that our first, I think it's on the 16th, November 16th is the first budget meeting where the change budget will be presented. We will begin to have discussions between now and then about what the final budget uh, will look like or the final package will look like before we vote on the 24th. What about the 350 layoffs? The CFL report serves up $272 million in potential savings to avert those layoffs. Healthcare savings are the biggest piece, an increase mm -hmm. in the ratio of supervisors to frontline employees from one for every seven employees to one for every 10. That's without any revenue ideas other than fines for 
false fire alarms and they're still working on those. What do you think? Do they have things in there that could mitigate either the layoffs or the property tax increase or both? I, that report just came out yesterday afternoon. I was handling budget hearings all day yesterday. I have not personally gone through that CFL report. I'm sure that the budget office is making their assessment of those things. Any way we can save uh, people from losing their jobs would be a great thing. Certainly, I know that the mayor has been thinking about not really looking at this until March of 2021, which gives the administration time to seek funding from the federal government. But there are no good choices in a pandemic. Cities all over the country are looking at reducing the size of their staff, the city staff, to meet the the budget challenges that they have. I hope we don't have to do that here in Chicago, but we'll see. The speed camera thing is a small item, but a stick in your craw kind of item. Could she bargain that away and appease Alderman in some way? Particularly you know, because budget. you have speed cameras that are not in both directions, and that, so they're not, the existing ones aren't capturing all the violators. I think a few aldermen made comments about the need for the second camera being installed, but I didn't hear a lot of pushback on, the, on that particular proposal in the budget. What about this massive borrowing? Any qualms that you might have about returning to the days of scoop and toss, taking eight more years to pay off the debt and settling yet another generation of Chicagoans who are already burdened with a mountain of debt? There's always a a concern about increased borrowing. But again, Fran, we are living in an age where we have a short-term emergency, which is this pandemic. We're not collecting the revenues that we would normally collect. We're trying to find a bridge to the good side, to the other side. And I anticipate that when we pass this pandemic, that the uh, mayor and her financial team will continue to do what they were doing, which was to find the structural changes within the borrowing strategy that they've used to write the city's uh, financial future. It's unfortunate that we have to do some additional borrowing, but in this pandemic, in this emergency, we have to. This is this isn't just some borrowing. This is so much. 1.7 billion. And then with the savings claimed in the first two years to the tune of almost a billion dollars. That's unbelievable. I've never heard of that. We live in uh, this is a very challenging time. And we are reducing the interest rates. We are increasing the our paid payment schedule by eight years. I don't know that there are other choices. What about the police department budget? Is the mayor doing enough to appease those who want to defund the police by eliminating 614 police vacancies? Or is she going too far and maybe endangering public safety because so many police officers are likely to retire? 
My understanding is that the police department will be able to manage the retirement, the attrition, to respond to that throughout the year. Given the pandemic, there's only a certain amount of people that they can put through the academy. I think that a lot, she made the changes in the police department or reduced their budget to the extent that she could, given the requirements and the constraints of the FOP contract. And the police department, Superintendent Brown, believes that this is a budget in a pandemic that he can deal with. Speaking of that police contract, there is only $100 million in here to cover back pay for the police officers when and if that contract, whenever, someday, it is settled. Where is the other 250 or $300 million going to come from? I can't say where it's going to come from. Like I said, this is a pandemic budget. It will get us to, it's a bridge to the other side. When things are better, when we're collecting more revenue, when perhaps we can get some additional dollars from the federal government, perhaps we can get more money from the state. At some point, the 2021 budget might have to be amended. And when we get to that point, we get to that point. How are we going to pay for it, though? That's a big chunk. It's it's like I said, if we increase our ability to collect revenue, we definitely need assistance from the federal government. Those may be opportunities to find funding for the retroactive pay for the police officers. With federal stimulus but, uh, funds? I don't know what how the money would come down from the federal government. There's got to be strings. I doubt if they would allow something like that. The budget also includes five and a quarter million dollars in violence prevention funds, in addition to the modest uh, investment of last year, nine million, and a continued nine point three million dollar investment in mental health and ten million to reduce homelessness. Is that enough in this time of hardship? It's never enough, but. Our options are financial. We're financially constrained, and I believe that the mayor has put additional money in violence prevention. She has put additional money into support for high-risk youth, looking at some new money for a co-responder model. These are all new initiatives for the 2021 budget. And as we go through the budget discussions, perhaps we can find additional resources. But right now, these are increased investments. And I guess that's a good thing when you consider how tough things are. Over the years, the city council's final budget vote has been a test of the mayor's political muscle. Emmanuel and Daly often won unanimous votes because they really worked at these relationships. The mayor, Lightfoot, has had a bit of a strained relationship with the council, stemming in part from her efforts to eliminate all demonic prerogative over licensing and permitting and her threat to do the same over zoning. She came back from a late summer vacation and vowed to do better and to reach out more. Is she doing that? Is she improving her relationship with the council? I think she has. I know that she has met with and continues to meet with various caucuses 
within the city council, the progressive caucus, the black caucus. I'm sure she's met with the Latino caucus and other caucuses as well. I know that she's has individual meetings and individual discussions with Alderman. I think she's improving her relationship with the council. Yes, I do. Does she need to abandon her threat to eliminate Aldermanic prerogative over zoning, which would require a vote that she might not win? I don't know that's being pursued. We continue to function in the zoning committee as we have functioned for all the years that committee's been around. So she's dropped that one like maybe a hot potato that it was? <laughs> You'd have to ask the, the mayor that. I'm telling you that we continue to function as we have functioned in the past. She says she doesn't care about her margins of victory in the city council, that all she needs is 26. Is that the right attitude to have? Does she need to work even harder to build these relationships and to build personal relationships with the alderman like Rahm Emanuel did? I think she's doing that. She only needs 26 votes to pass the budget. That's 26 votes. I'm, I'm sure every additional vote above 26 is something that she would want to have. And I know that she is having discussions and talking to aldermen and picking up the phone as she should. Earlier this year, the council approved a resolution in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and you were one of a surprising number of women in the council who talked about their own personal experiences with breast cancer. How has that shaped you? How are you doing now? I'm in remission. I found my cancer in 2007. My first friend, I really didn't like to talk about it because I thought it was a symbol of being a weak person because all of a sudden I'm an alderman and I find that I have breast cancer in the year that I'm elected. Oh, woe is me. So I was very quiet about it for a couple of years. But I think it's very important to speak out about it, to encourage other women to go get their mammograms and ultrasounds and to visit a breast doctor because this is a very deadly disease and people need to take care of themselves. I was a person who uh, just worked every day, took care of my family, worked in the community, ignored my trips to get a mammogram for a number of years, but that's something that you can't ignore. And I encourage every woman to, over a certain age, especially African-American women, women of color, to get that mammogram. You're a former, I think, college basketball player. You were a jock. <laughs> you were a healthy person. Was yes. it hard for you, harder than most, to have such a devastating diagnosis? No, I I think because I was a jock, I ignored going, taking care of my annual checkups and things because I was an athlete, figured I'd always be healthy. But it doesn't matter whether you're a jock or not, you definitely need to take care of getting your checkups and your mammograms and everything that you should 
And before we let you go with the second surge of coronavirus, how are you planning to celebrate Thanksgiving with your family? Are you going to keep the circle tight? What are you going to do? My circle's always been tight, Fran. I'm an only child. I have one son and no real family in the city of Chicago. So it'll be me, my dog, and my son having a nice meal over Thanksgiving. And will he be tested like my son before he comes over or what? Yeah, he's, I've encouraged him to get tested and he's responsible. He's a responsible person. So I know he's not hanging out in the clubs or going to the hotels and doing parties. I'm satisfied that he can come to the house and as he has been and we break bread together. Okay, and a small turkey, I take it, maybe a Cornish hen. Oh, Cornish hen, most <laughs> definitely. Okay. Pat Dow, thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe out there, and right. we will see you all next week. Take care, friend. Bye. Bye.